Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. All right, let's do some reading of Dracula. But first, let me have this sip of reading wine. Oh, it's been a heck of a day, and I am ready for this reading wine. Mm. Oh, that's good stuff. That was necessary. One more. Mm. Okay. Now I think I can handle this. Let's dive right back in where we were. Letter by hand, Van Helsing to Mrs. Harker. 25 September, 6 o'clock. Dear Madam Mina, now I've read your husband's so wonderful diary. You may sleep without doubt. Strange and terrible as it is, it is true. I will pledge my life on it. It may be worse for others, but for him and you there is no dread. He is a noble fellow. And let me tell you from experience of men that one who would do as he did in going down that wall and to that room, I and going a second time, is not one to be injured in permanence by a shock. His brain and his heart are all right. This I swear before I have even seen him, so be at rest. I shall have much to ask him of other things. I am blessed that today I came to see you, for I have learned all at once so much that again I am dazzle, dazzle more than ever, and I must think. Yours the most faithful, Abraham Van Helsing. Letter, Mrs. Harker to Van Helsing, 25 September, 6.30 p.m. My dear Dr. Van Helsing, A thousand thanks for your kind letter, which has taken a great weight off my mind. And yet, if it be true, what terrible things there are in the world, and what an awful thing, if that man, that monster, be really in London. I fear to think. I have this moment, whilst writing, had a wire from Jonathan saying that he leaves by the 6.25 tonight from Launceston, and will be here at 10.18, so that I shall have no fear tonight. Will you, therefore, instead of lunching with us, please come to breakfast at eight o'clock, if this be not too early for you. You can get away, if you are in a hurry, by the 10.30 train, which will bring you to Paddington by 2.35. Do not answer this, as I shall take it that, if I do not hear, you will come to breakfast. Believe me, your faithful and grateful friend, Mina Harker. Jonathan Harker's Journal, 26 September. I thought never to write in this diary again, but the time has come. 
When I got home last night, Mina had supper ready, and when we had supped, she told me of Van Helsing's visit, and of her having given him the two diaries copied out, and of how anxious she has been about me. She showed me in the doctor's letter that all I wrote down was true. It seems to have made a new man of me. It was the doubt as to the reality of the whole thing that knocked me over. I felt impotent and in the dark and distressful, but now that I know, I am not afraid, even of the Count. He has succeeded, after all, then, in his design in getting to London, and it was he I saw. He has got younger, and how? Van Helsing is the man to unmask him and hunt him out, if he is anything like what Mina says. We sat late and talked it all over. Mina is dressing, and I shall call at the hotel in a few minutes and bring him over. He was, I think, surprised to see me. When I came into the room where he was and introduced myself, he took me by the shoulder and turned my face round to the light, and said, after a sharp scrutiny, But Madame Mina told me you were ill, that you had had a shock. It was so funny to hear my wife called Madame Mina by this kindly, strong-faced old man. I smiled and said, I was ill, I have had a shock, but you have cured me already. And how? By your letter to Mina last night. I was in doubt, and then everything took a hue of unreality, and I did not know what to trust, even the evidence of my own senses. Not knowing what to trust, I did not know what to do, and so had only to keep on working in what had hitherto been the groove of my life. The groove ceased to avail me, and I mistrusted myself. Doctor, you don't know what it is to doubt everything, even yourself. No, you don't. You couldn't with eyebrows like yours. He seemed pleased and laughed as he said, So, you're a physiognomist. I learn more here with each hour. I am with so much pleasure coming to you to breakfast. And, oh, sir, you will pardon praise for an old man, but you are blessed in your wife. I would listen to him go on praising Mina for a day, so I simply nodded and stood silent. She is one of God's women, fashioned by his own hand to show us men and other women that there is a heaven where we can enter, and that its light can be here on earth. So true, so sweet, so noble, so little an egoist, and that, let me tell you, is much in this age, so skeptical and selfish. And you, sir, I have read all the letters to poor Miss Lucy, and some of them speak of you, so I know you since some days from the knowing of others, but I have seen your true self since last night. You will give me your hand, will you not? And let us be friends for all our lives. We shook hands, and he was so earnest and so kind that it made me quite choky. And now, he said, may I ask you for some more help? I have a great task to do, and at the beginning it is to, it is to know. You can help me here. Can you tell me what went before you're going to Transylvania? Later on I may ask more help, and of a different kind, but at first this will do. Look here, sir, I said, does what you have to do concern the Count? It does, he said solemnly. Then I am with you heart and soul, and you go by the 10.30, as you go by the 10.30 train, you will not have time to read them. But I shall get the bundle of papers. You can take them with you and read them in the train. After breakfast, I saw him to the station. When we were parting, he said, perhaps you will come to town if I send to you and take Madame Mina too. We shall both come when you will, I said. I had got him the morning papers and the London papers of the previous night, and while we were talking at the carriage window, waiting for the train to start, he was turning them over. His eyes suddenly seemed to catch something in one of them. 
The Westminster Gazette. I knew it by the color, and he grew quite white. He read something intently, groaning to himself, "'Mein Gott, mein Gott! So soon! So soon!' I do not think he remembered me at the moment. Just then the whistle blew, and the train moved off. This recalled him to himself, and he leaned out of the window and waved his hand, calling out, "'Love to Madame Mina! I shall write so soon, write so soon as ever I can!' Dr. Seward's Diary, 26 September. Truly, there is no such thing as finality. Not a week since I said, Finisse, and yet here I am, starting fresh again, rather going on with the same record. Until this afternoon, I had no cause to think of what is done. Renfield had become, to all intents, as sane as he ever was. He was already well ahead with his fly business, and he had just started in the spider line also, so he had not been of any trouble to me. I had a letter from Arthur, written on Sunday, and from it I gathered that he is bearing up wonderfully well. Quincy Morris is with him, and that is much of a help, for he himself is a bubbling well of good spirits. Quincy wrote me a line, too, and from him I hear that Arthur is beginning to recover something of his old buoyancy. So as to them, all my mind is at rest— as for myself, I was settling down to my work with the enthusiasm which I used to have for it, so that I might fairly have said that the wound which poor old Lucy left on me, uh, which, so that the wound which poor Lucy left on me, was becoming cicatrist, mm, whatever it is, cicatrist, cicatrist, something, healed. Everything is, however, now reopened. And what it is to be the and what is to be the end, God only knows. I have an idea that Van Helsing thinks he knows too, but he will only let out enough at a time to wet curiosity. He went to Exeter yesterday and stayed there all night. Today he came back and almost bounded into the room at about half past five o'clock, and thrust last night's Westminster Gazette into my hand. What do you think of that? He asked as he stood back and folded his arms. I looked over the paper, for I really did not know what he meant, but he took it from me and pointed out a paragraph about children being decoyed away at Hampstead. It did not convey much to me, until I reached a passage where it described small punctured wounds on their throats. An idea struck me, and I looked up. Well, he said, it is like poor Lucy's. And what do you make of it? Simply that there is some cause in common. Whatever it was that injured her has injured them. I did not quite understand his answer. That is true indirectly, but not directly. How do you mean, Professor? I asked. I was a little inclined to take his seriousness lightly, for after all, four days of rest and freedom from burning, harrowing anxiety does help to restore one's spirits. But when I saw his face, it sobered me. Never, even in the midst of our despair about poor Lucy, had he looked more stern. Tell me, I said, I can hazard no opinion. I do not know what to think, and I have no data on which to found a conjecture. Do you mean to tell me, friend John, that you have no suspicion as to what poor Lucy died of? Not after all the hints given, not only by events, but by me. Of nervous prostration following on great loss or waste of blood. And how the blood lost or waste? I shook my head. He stepped over and sat down beside me and went on. You are a clever man, friend John. You reason well and your wit is bold, but you are too prejudiced. You do not let your eyes see nor your ears hear, 
and that which is outside your daily life is not of account to you. Do not think that there are things which you cannot understand, and yet which are, that some people see things that others cannot. But there are things old and new which must not be contemplated by men's eyes, because they know, or think they know, some things which other men have told them. Ah, it is the fault of our science that it wants to explain all, and if it explain not, then it says there is nothing to explain. But yet we see around us every day the growth of new beliefs, which think themselves new, and which are yet but the old, which pretend to be young, like the fine ladies at the opera. I suppose now you do not believe in corporeal transference, no, nor in materialization, no, nor in astral bodies, no, nor in the reading of thought, no, nor in hypnotism, yes, I said, Charcot has proved that pretty well. He smiled and went on. Then you are satisfied as to it, yes, and of course then you understand how it act, and can follow the mind of the great Charcot, alas, that he is no more, into the very soul of the patient that he influence? No? Then, friend John, am I to take it that you simply accept fact and are satisfied to let from premise to conclusion be a blank? No? Then tell me, for I am a student of the brain, how you accept the hypnotism and reject the thought-reading. Let me tell you, my friend, that there are things done today in electrical science which would have been deemed unholy by the very men who discovered electricity, who would themselves not so long before have been burned as wizards. There are always mysteries in life. Why was it that Methuselah lived 900 years and old par 169, and yet that poor Lucy with four men's blood in her poor veins could not live even one day? For had she lived one more day, we could have saved her. Do you know all the mystery of life and death? Do you know the altogether of comparative anatomy, and can say wherefore the qualities of brutes are in some men and not in others? Can you tell me why, when other spiders die small and soon, that one great spider lived for centuries in the tower of the old Spanish church, and grew and grew, till on descending he could drink the oil of all the church lamps? Can you tell me why in the pampas, I and elsewhere, there are bats that come at night, and open the veins of cattle and horses, and suck dry their veins? How in some islands of the western seas there are bats which hang on the trees all day, and those who have, been who have seen describe as like giant nuts or pods, and that when the sailors sleep on the deck because that it is hot, flit down on them, and then, and then in the morning are found dead men, white as even Miss Lucy was. Good God, Professor, I said, starting up, do you mean to tell me that Lucy was bitten by such a bat? and that such a thing is here in London in the 19th century? He waved his hand for silence and went on, Can you tell me why the tortoise lives more long than generations of men, why the elephant goes on and on till he has seen dynasties, and why the parrot never die only of bite of cat or dog or other complaint? Can you tell me why men believe in all ages and places that there are some few who live on always if they be permit, that there are men and women who cannot die? We all know because science has vouched for the fact, that there have been toads shut up in rocks for thousands of years, shut in one so small hole that only hold him since the youth of the world. 
Can you tell me how the Indian fakir can make himself to die and have been buried, and his grave sealed and corn sowed on it, and the corn reaped and be cut and sown and reaped and cut again, and then men come and take away the unbroken seal, and that there lie the Indian fakir, not dead, but that rise up and walk amongst them as before? Here I interrupted him. I was getting bewildered. He was so crowded on my mind, his list of nature's eccentricities and possible impossibilities, that my imagination was getting fired. I had a dim idea that he was teaching me some lesson, as long ago he used to do in his study at Amsterdam. But he used then to tell me the thing, so that I could have the object of thought in mind all the time. But now I was without his help, yet I wanted to follow him. So I said, Professor, let me be your pet student again. Tell me the thesis so that I may apply your knowledge as you go on. At present, I am going in my mind from point to point as a madman, and not a sane one follows an idea. I feel like a novice lumbering through a bog and a mist, jumping from one tussock to another in the mere blind effort to move on without knowing where I am going. That is a good image, he said. Well, I shall tell you. My thesis is this, and I want you to believe. To believe what? to believe in things that you cannot. Let me illustrate. I heard once of an American who so defined faith, that faculty which enables us to believe things which we know to be untrue. For one, I follow that man. He meant that we shall have an open mind and not let a little bit of truth check the rush of a big truth, like a small rock does a railway truck. We get the small truth first. Good. We keep him and we value him. But all the same, we must not let him think himself all the truth in the universe. Then you want me not to let some previous conviction injure the receptivity of my mind with regard to some strange matter. Do I read your lesson aright? Ah, you are my favorite pupil still. It is worth to teach you. Now that you are willing to understand, you have taken the first step to understand. You think, then, that these so small holes in the children's throats were made by the same that made the hole in Miss Lucy? I suppose so. He stood up and said solemnly, Then you are wrong. Oh, would it were so? But alas, no. It is worse. Far, far worse. In God's name, Professor Van Helsing, what do you mean? I cried. He threw himself with a despairing gesture into a chair and placed his elbows on the table, covering his face with his hands as he spoke. They were made by Miss Lucy. And that is the end of chapter 14. Oh, oh these poor folks not even knowing what they're going through. Uh, if you are familiar with my other work that I do, then you already know about my other one of my other podcasts called Arcane Carolinas, um, www.arcanecarolinas.com, where we talk about like the strange and the unusual and things that seem uh, unexplained or inexplicable altogether. And some of those are monster stories. And I would love to find, well, we kind of did find uh, a vampire legend based in the Carolinas because that's our deal. You know, we're we're locked into that geographic footprint because there's so much to explore in the Carolinas. So I would love to find a good vampire story in the Carolinas. There already is kind of one. It's uh, the vampire beast of Bladenboro, but it's a big cat that some people said kind of vampirized animals. And some people said just attacked them. And if you're familiar with chupacabras, it's very similar to chupacabra stories in a lot of ways, but 
think more like a cougar, you know, or a, a mountain lion than that thing. Anyway, when Dr. Van Helsing talks about like, you know, you're willing to accept hypnotism, but you're not willing to accept mind reading. That's an argument that I personally find very compelling. The notion that like, just because we haven't proved something is possible yet, doesn't mean that people aren't really experiencing it. And maybe what people contextualize that experience as the explanations that people come up with on their own for their own experiences are incorrect because they're filtered through the cultural preconceptions that those people have. You know, you see lights in the sky and you think UFO aliens and a hundred years ago you saw lights in the sky and you thought portent or you thought blimp or you thought all kinds of things. You know, it's, they're different interpretations that we have for the same sensory input from one person to the next and from one generation to the next and from one technology level to the next and one culture to the next and so on and so forth. But I think it's fascinating that a lot of phenomena that people report are reported across cultural lines and across generational boundaries and across years and across miles and the details of those sensory experiences will remain similar, but the explanations will differ and people will accept something that maybe they have experienced personally and just reject out of hand the possibility of what someone else reports experiencing. I'm not saying that I am so credulous that I believe everything that everybody has ever reported, but I do mean that I don't necessarily automatically dismiss that they experienced something. And so I really love Dr. Van Helsing's take on things. I also love Van Helsing as a character overall. He's really charming. You know, I've talked a lot about how there are some really outdated gender norms in this book and they are very outdated. And his whole speech about like, Oh, I mean, is this example to God and man about how to like not have an ego and be kind. That's really freighted with a ton of like gender role, bullshit and preconceptions of that sort. And so I'm not excusing any of that stuff. Uh, but in terms of like how he treats people who are traumatized or whom he knows, uh, and knows will be traumatized very soon, then I think he's a really charming and admirable character. And I love that open-mindedness of him. So, atypical of a Victorian story in a lot of ways. So, uh, also I love Dr. Van Helsing so much that when we adopted a new cat recently, who is an older cat, he's an elderly cat and his really tragic backstory and he's seen some shit. Uh, then we named him Dr. Van Helsing because it just seemed to fit. Anyway, thanks for listening. Talk to you next time when we'll dive into chapter 15. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org. <laughs>